Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. Thank you so much again for your patience. I'm so sorry that this episode was light, and there really is no excuse. I wasn't sick. I wasn't out of town. I was just really tired. I just had no energy, and I was just so sleepy. And this should come as no surprise as a vegetarian who does not take their iron supplements. But still, I never want to let people down. I never want to keep anything from the content that you are here to enjoy. So thank you again for being patient with me, for supporting the podcast and supporting me. Now let's get down to it. This week, we're breaking down season three, episode two, entitled Stone's War. Per IMDb, the synopsis, when Ira Stone films a video of American forces on illegal operations in South America, Crockett must protect him from their old nemesis Maynard, who will stop at nothing to silence Stone. Interesting, so we know that Stone is coming back. However, when we open on the cold open, we see no evidence of Stone at first. We're just opening up on like a nondescript village, and the signs are in Spanish, so we are led to believe it's either North America, South America, or Central America. And... We're seeing a funeral procession. We're seeing women chatting. We're seeing a fruit vendor as Mercy by Steve Jones is playing in the background. And we see some graffiti that kind of foreshadows what's to come. We see signs that say death to imperialism and we see other graffiti. And then again, this nondescript village, all of a sudden fight breaks out and we're seeing bombs. We're seeing shots fired. So everyone's kind of running to safety. The fruit vendor we were just passing off, bomb explodes were in front of him. All the women that we saw and that very cute baby that we saw, we just see bawling and we see a priest ushering in villagers into the church. Then we see Ira Stone. We see him with the cameraman taking footage, recording everything that's going on. While Stone is cameraman are filming what's going on, they pin in on a soldier. We learn later that this is taking place in Nicaragua, and we see what appears to be a Sandinista. Now, he speaks fluent English, and we hear him talking about the priest, who is also American. They're on, I'm assuming, missionary work. He's a Jesuit priest. And the priest gets shot. This is all on film, and Iris Stone has it. The soldier makes eye contact with the cameraman, shoots the cameraman. The cameraman dies, but not before Stone is able to get the footage. We don't know what happens because we cut the cold open, we go to the intro, and then we open back up at the Miami International Airport where Stone is coming down the escalator. And he's kind of like muttering about Crockett. He's like, Crockett, you better be there, Crockett, you better be there. And of course, Crockett being the most loyal and best friend there is, is of course waiting for Stone. Now, a stone is lining up to go through customs on the other side once he lands in Miami. We recognize two of the suits that are kind of standing around. One of them is the same, quote, 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 unquote, Sandinista that we saw speaking fluent English before the priest got shot. All very interesting, right? Now, stone is already on high alert as he's going through the customs agent's kind of giving him a hard time. You know, what's the purpose for your visit? You've had a lot of interesting visits. What were you doing in Nicaragua? What are all these tapes? Stone has a right to be concerned in this next clip. What are these? Videos of my trip. I'm going to have to detain them until I can be viewed. You can't do that. It'll take four days. We're looking for copyright violations, pirated films, pornography. Lady, I smell Big Brother. No. You smell yourself. Take a bath, Mr. Stone. You may go. <laughs> now, who among us has not been smelly coming off a long flight? But it is interesting that they'd want to confiscate his tapes and they wouldn't have a way to watch it earlier. And I, again, I'm understanding this is long, long, long ago in 1986. And technology, as we'll see in this episode, the technology is pretty wild if we compare it from a 2023 lens. So that's actually probably my favorite part of the episode was just the technology was the real guest star. And now to put Ira aside for just a moment, we do have some great style in the airport. We've got some glass blocks behind us. We have Crockett in two differing shades of teal. And then we also have a woman who I named my best-dressed NPC 
in white pumps with a white purse with a very multicolored dress. I see blue, I see pink, I see baby blue, and kind of like big tussled blonde hair, which I really appreciated. Now again, Crockett and Stone haven't seen each other for a while. So Stone's a little bit surprised when Crockett shows him the ride and it's not the Daytona. Where's the Ferrari? Get in. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> True. And then Stone, before they drive off, shows him that he was able to smuggle in one tape that the customs agent was not able to see. They go back to the same fight of stance. And Stone really, really, really wants to show him this clip. He's saying that he's going to win a Peabody Award, that it's this big scandal that he's unearthing. And again, Crockett doesn't have a TV, which I thought was surprising. I always thought Crockett had a TV. It turns out that it comes into play in a later episode. Because I was like, wait, I swear. I guess to be fair, I usually see him on the boat. He's either hanging out or he's playing music. But yeah, no TV. I don't know how one could live. <laughs> well, Crockett's asking Stone, uh, why did I get a collect call from Managua, Nicaragua? And stone's trying to explain that he had this footage and that you know his reputation's not that great in new york so he wanted to come to miami see if he could sell it to a network here and of course crockett is in miami and now crockett's not only a friend but a source of security as we'll see later on the episode so he really wants to show crockett the footage but there's no tv so they do it the old school way he watches it through the viewfinder on the camcorder on this next clip of this what is it uh that's a priest they killed these are American troops? That's right. Oh. They shot your cameraman? Yeah, I wasn't sticking around for more target practice. No sale, pal. They would have nailed you before you got 50 Look, yards. It happened. What can I say? Oh, yeah, it might have happened, but only because you set it up. Every news service in the world has got reporters in Nicaragua, and you're trying to tell me that Ira Stone copped the only exclusive out of there on a, on a home movie camera? <laughs> it's a fake. This grieves me deeply, Sonny. All right, why were there two goons after me in the airport? I didn't see anyone. Now, come on, Ira. What's your real scam? Scam? This is a huge story. Ooh, this is interesting because I don't blame Crockett for not believing Stone. And yet Stone is adamant that this is real. He brings up the bombing in Cambodia by the Nixon administration. Also interesting connection because then we have someone connected to the Nixon administration later on this episode. Very interesting. Very interesting that the two first episodes of season three are... I don't want to say pulled from the headlines, but yes, they're very much pulled from the headlines because previous episodes that we've had talking about either civil war or unrest and revolutions going on in Central or South America, they've never mentioned these countries by name. And all of a sudden we're talking about the IRA and we're talking about the Iran-Contra scandal and Nicaragua and the war there. So it's like, oh, interesting. This is very much the Dick Wolf influence. Getting back to the episode at hand. Now, Stone is, again, really freaked out. He's really freaked out. He can sense that two people are following him. And when he mentions the goods at the airport, again, they kind of brush it off. And Crockett just tries to reassure him that with the First Amendment, that nobody's going to shoot at him here. Ha, 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 LOL, as if I put in my notes. <laughs> now, Stone is freaking out. And remember what we learned about the first time that Stone was around. Stone asked Sonny a question, and I don't know how he could have expected any other answer in this next clip. Listen, I'm I'm a little wired right now. Do you think that uh, you might have a little grass left over for some bust or something? Stone, you need a bath. Now again, how badly does Ira Stone smell? <laughs> and as if there's any bathtub on that boat. Now the next morning, Stone's up. He's on the phone, he's trying to reach somebody named Keeler. Crockett reminds him to feed Elvis. When Stone asks what Elvis eats, Crockett responds, fish, feet, <laughs> whatever he's in the mood for. Now, let's get back to Ira, because he's finally made contact with the guy 
Keeler he was trying to contact in this next clip. And the sperm bank piece was not perfect, but it did capture the essence, right? Look, this time, I really have a great story. It's a very hot property. You... Keeler? Damn it. Mm. Yes, hello. Mr. Stone, this is Rolando Luhan, news director, WXER. I understand you're selling a tape. Yes, to the highest network bidder. I'm very sorry. I appreciate your calling. I'm afraid I could not possibly consider this. You are a local station. Well, if it's good, uh, I'd be willing to pay you more than the networks. Say, $25,000. Of course, uh, I'd like to view the tape first. Could you have it delivered to my office? I happen to be extremely busy, but I think I could possibly arrange it. About, say, in an hour. Okay, a few things. Even though we could see what was going on, so obviously we saw that the phone call was cut short and that the man who called him back was one of the CIA goons. Hired goons? I would just expect Ira to be a little bit more, I don't want to say street smart, street smart, but aware, like a little bit more curious as to who this interested bidder is and he knows that people in the U.S. government want to see this tape, it would behoove him to be a little bit more selective in where he's going. However, he agrees to this. And then also, I was like, he's like, I'm very busy. I'm like, you are not busy. You are living on your friend's boat watching a gator. You are got all the time in the day. (laughs) And so with that, he is off to the Miami affiliate W-L-V-E. And that's a very cute call sign, obviously, because it's the W-Love. And I didn't learn until I moved to California that it's W for the East Coast and K for the West Coast. Because everything can is C. Like, every call sign for the radio starts with a C. And I didn't realize the W and the K until I moved here. I'm like, wouldn't W be on the West Coast and K on the East Coast? But whatever. I digress. And when he's at W-L-V-E... He goes to chat with the receptionist and in pure Ira Stone fashion wants to tell her a long-winded Ira tale in this next clip. Yes, yeah, so there were these 12 guys with these machetes, you know what I mean? And, and so I said to Castro, I said, Fidel, a lie gets halfway around the world. Uh-oh. Now that spooky music means that those CIA guys that he saw at the airport, they're also in the radio station because he can see them in, again, super high tech. I put a picture of it (laughs) on the surveillance footage. Oh my God, too funny. So, and there's also a gif of him running. He's just a very bad runner. And I even made a note to myself, like Bob Balaban had a little bit of a glow up from season two to season three. And uh, unfortunately... (laughs) It didn't really help with his running skills. Now, I can't believe I totally messed up the chronological order. Crockett, in what is probably the earliest account I can think of, like, true product placement that we are more familiar with today, is gifted with a new car. He goes into Castillo, and Crockett's theme is playing in the background, and he says that he has this cover he needs to protect. Castillo, again, solemn and stoic as always, tells him to go outside or a brand new Ferrari Testarossa is waiting in the parking lot. Now, again, they zoom in on the insignia on the front of the car so we know it's a real Ferrari because that was the whole issue with the Daytona. That the Daytona was taken off screen in a very memorable fashion by being blown up in season three, episode one, last week's episode, When Irish Eyes Are Crying. Because Enzo Ferrari wanted them to use a real Ferrari and not a fake Ferrari or not, you know, a fake Ferrari body with, I believe it's a Chevy transmission. He wanted him to use the real thing. So this is legit product placement. And it's such a fun little part where Tubbs goes out to check it out with him and Crocky gets in the car and revs the engine as Croc theme's playing in the background. I was like, oh, that's genius product placement. Because again, this was... One of the most popular shows on television. This was back in a day where pop culture was a little bit more limited in its offerings. So there was more of a monoculture of things that everybody talked about the water cooler. I'd have this product placement, which again, I just learned that it's not 
about what you can afford. It's about you, what you want to achieve. And so by putting this on a network show, this beautiful, sexy sports car, like you really, even though it's not for the every man, but for the person that wants to try to afford it, they will. And they want to emulate Sonny Crockett and they want to emulate the coolest show on TV at the time. So I think that's genius. Also, I will say, looking back on the pictures in the reception's office, we see, again, the call sign I mentioned, WLVE, black and white, two circles and three stars. Like, it's not really a warm, welcoming symbol that you would expect with a news station that has love in its call sign. So I thought that was a little bit interesting. Then we get back to the boat. Now, Stone drinking. Again, his hand is all injured when they were shooting at him. I don't know if he actually got shot. I think that he fell because I'm trying to remember. I only saw this episode six times, but I guess I was not really paying attention to that scene where he's running and they are shooting at him. Maybe a piece of shrapnel or something did hit him, but I don't remember a bullet going through his hand. And it is funny because he makes a joke that he cut himself on the bottle and he's holding a bottle of what looks to be like Jack Daniels. But if you zoom in and zoom in and zoom in, it doesn't look like it says Tennessee whiskey. It looks like it says Kentucky whiskey. And of course, Jack Daniels is historically uh, a Tennessee whiskey, having to adhere to the rules and standards of what makes a Tennessee whiskey, which I believe is a maple charcoal filter. I need to look into that. My Jack Daniels rep would not be impressed. (laughs) And someone who was very much a fan of Jack Daniels in her youth should know a little bit better. And Stone is very paranoid. But now it seems like he has a lot of right to be, even though him and Crockett still not really on the same page in this next clip. My tape is hot. I know this. All I've got to do is connect with the right people. All you've got to do is help me. Wrong. I'm not involved. I don't know what's going on. I don't want to know what's going on. That's it. Sure, sure. You'd rather just drive around in snappy cars, busting Coke dealers. Wow. You're pushing me. Damn straight, man. What does it take to get you behind me? Nothing. You can't. We're talking about reruns of Vietnam and Central America. That's what this tape was all about. Well, good. Somebody will buy it. They'll put it on the air and run it. People will scream. You'll be a hero. Great. But I don't want to have anything to do with it. This is history. No, you are history. As of tomorrow, you're out of here. Gabish. This is tough because I really do sympathize with Crockett in that. Same thing with the last episode. Ira Stone was not wrong about Maynard and what was going on. But again, the drama and then... The issues with his addiction, and it's really hard to trust him to know what's real. So I really do feel for Crockett. Crockett is always a great friend. He always goes above and beyond, but he also gets burned quite a lot. And then adding to Crockett's doubt, this is what he gets when he goes back to OCB. Stone, Ira, white male, early 40s, wanted in connection with murder of Art Eaton, American in Central America, the week of 10-12. Isn't he a friend of yours, Sonny? Yeah, I know. I'm going to. Eaton was posing as a news cameraman. Both men were actually involved in a heroin smuggling operation. Stone is suspected of fleeing to Miami, warrant issued by Federal District Court Miami. Oh, man, that's not what Crockett wanted to hear at all. And now he's extra conflicted. As he's walking back to the same fight as Stance, calls out for Ira when he hears someone kind of rummaging around down in the salon. Doesn't hear anything back, pulls out his gun, sees the CIA agent walk up the stairs and radios in that no one's here. Says that he didn't see his appointment in his appointment book. And as the guy is getting held up at gunpoint, there's another CIA gay guy downstairs in the salon comes up to check, sneaks behind Crockett, pistol whip Crockett in the back of the head. Next scene, Crockett does wake up. He comes to hearing a phone call, but he comes to with Elvis going in and out of focus. (laughs) You know, usually you're looking at another person or he'd be waking up looking at his wife. No, he's waking up looking at his alligator. I made a gift of that uh, for all you Elvis files out there. So Crockett picks up the phone and Stone's like, where were you? Like, what was going on? Stone lets him know that he's at the Miami airport, that he's by, I believe, the Global Express terminal. 
he wants to be somewhere where he's out in the open, wide open spaces, lights, you know, to put him less in danger. Crocker says he's going to go pick him up from the airport, that he'll flash his lights three times, gives him this little hint, or I was going to say kind of like this little clue that Crocker's going to pick him up. Now, Stone, again, not really popular with anybody, has clearly irritated this poor gate agent or attendant long enough. He says, you know, it's okay if I wait around here, and she kind of like rolls her eyes. He asks her to come up with a trip around the world. Not only that, he is a frequent flyer, so he wants frequent flyer points. So as many stops as possible along the way. By the time Crockett does come up to the airport to pick him up, we see the lights flash. Stone knows that Crockett's there. She hands him his itinerary that his last stop after 31 stops is back in Miami. He makes this excuse that he forgot his credit card (laughs) and runs off to go meet Crockett. And as Crockett picks him up in the Testarossa, someone else is unfortunately also following Crockett. And we have a chase on our hands. The song you're hearing in the background is called When the Rain Comes Down by Andy Taylor. And the CIA starts shooting at Crockett. There is a great scene, again, this product placement in this episode is Chef's Kiss Phenomenal, where we see Crockett shift into gear. Now, remember, we didn't really see a close-up of this in the, quote, spider. Again, different transmission. They want to show off the fancy transmission. And again, you see Crockett hit the gas while he takes his foot off the clutch. So we know it's legit. As this chase is going on, there again, they're hitting all these curves, hitting all these corners, trying to get rid of the CIA. Now, I will say it's a beautiful chasing. There are some really good shots and some really good gifts I put up on the gallery that you can always check out. You can find my link tree on my Instagram, and you can always find it at the website at viceandeasypodcast.com. You can also find the gallery for every single episode in my descriptor notes. They're able to get away. They, with a low testerosa, are able to go underneath a truck that's parked in the middle of an alleyway where their car in the CIA, unfortunately, doesn't really make it. They crash, and they take a little bit off the top. They're still alive, but Crockett and Stone have gone away safe. Find the truth, Ira, right now. There's a federal warrant out for your arrest for the murder of Art Eaton in Costa Rica. We're moving smack. You picked me up. I was in Nicaragua. I had return reservations. Check out the flight schedule on my arrival. You saw me at customs. And Crockett says, well, until I get this all figured out, you're going to the one safe place I know. Ira says, jail. Crockett says, you sure bet? (laughs) And they head down to OCB and Crockett puts Stone at Metro for protection. Crockett says that he'll take care of the reporter and that he'll meet with her on behalf of Stone. Now, I really like this shot of Crockett meeting the reporter very beautiful. She's got curly hair and a beautiful white suit, great accessories. And there's this great shot of her where we get her side profile in a mirror and then we just see the back of her head. And then we get to see the back of her head again when she's talking with Crockett. And Crockett's wearing a chartreuse shirt, kind of like a very, very bright green neon yellow. And this actually really suits him. We were talking the other episode that like mustard yellow does not suit him. However, this is a color that very much suits Sonny Crockett. And while he does look amazing in this color, and a lot of things do suit him, one thing that doesn't really suit him is being a salesman, as you can hear in this next clip. There's a chance that this is genuine, so be careful with it, lady. (laughs) I don't know, they just made me laugh every time I watch the episode, I just always cracked up. But he does warn her that there are a lot of people who are interested in this tape, And she counters back that she's going to make sure the tape is real, that she wants to do her research, and that she doesn't want to put her name or her network's name in jeopardy. Kudos to her. She wants to do the research. And with that, we go from one meeting of the minds to another. We 
can to a skyscraper. Well, not that high. I want to say it's like 20 stories, not super high. And we have a boardroom meeting. Now, this boardroom meeting kind of made me raise my eyes because we just see a pair of hands kind of massaging the shoulders of three different men going around talking about what their job is. We have an owner of WLVE. Boop, boop, boop. Alert, alert, red alert. I kind of want to use that like police siren from Jesus and Mero <laughs> without getting sued. <laughs> then we have a lawyer and then we have a board member. Oh, did I write it down? Did I write it down? Did I write it down? <sighs> I did not write it down, but it seems to be an exec with some shell corporation based in South America from what I could gather. And then we also have a judge who they got the most unflattering shot of him. You just see him looking straight ahead with this big double chin. He doesn't even seem like that heavy of a guy. Just like an incredibly unflattering. (laughs) And then we hear a shrill, nasally voice we definitely recognize in this next clip. I want the same thing. And thus far, our limited operation has been successful. A second wave is assembling. We leave in 24 hours. They will stay in the fields with our contra partners and win. Then American public opinion will join us. It could be a very long haul. Remember, they do not have the same interests we share. They will support a winning army. And that's what we're creating. It's an admirable sales pitch. But I look at headlines from Nicaragua and I see no results. We have several million dollars invested, much of it with you, and we have no way of determining whether we're getting our money's worth. I anticipated your skepticism. And that click of the briefcase, you would think could be a lot of money or drugs. Unfortunately, not. Maynard pulls out a necklace full of ears. And again, the other board members still aren't really backing him 100%. And they say that for this amount of, quote, Sandinista ears, there are millions more. And basically calling into question how strong his support of the Contra army is and if they would be able to hypothetically defeat the Sandinistas because basically he's asking for more money, more support. And this is what they've given him already. And they're not seeing the results that they want. And we'll discuss the history and a little bit of the U.S. involvement. Again, I try to kind of keep my history to a minute because I am not super educated on this issue. And it is a very long, complex issue. But there are a lot of names that definitely were familiar. And they were all familiar because of the Simpsons. Because I remember when Bark was on the Krusty Show and he publishes his autobiography. And Lisa's like, oh, this is published rather quickly like this book isn't even about him the last three chapters are about the oliver north trial (laughs) and oliver north was the head of the national council of security that played an incredibly figurative role in the iran contra scandal so it's all very interesting we'll get to that at the end but let's get back to the episode at hand now crockett comes into ocb and he is pissed because remember how we dropped ira off at jail the night before He went to Miami Metro to pick him up. Turns out he's already been sprung. Now, how could that happen? The whole point was to keep him in jail, to keep him safe. And he's super pissed at Zwitek that Zwitek let him go. And Zwitek kind of counters back, like, look, I'm sorry. He had a judge with him and they had a federal warrant. Like, there's not really much that he felt that he could do. And Crockett pushes back, asks if the officer left a badge number, left a name. The name they got, O'Hara. But then when Zwitek calls into Miami Metro to double check on the badge number, there is no Officer O'Hara. And there was no badge number on the report. So someone broke Stone out. And Crockett really wants to get to the bottom of this. And then, in super auspicious timing... Crockett gets a call, and we can't hear the voice on the other line, but Crockett says that he recognizes the voice. Hangs up. He pulls out the phone book and calls the reporter back at WLVE in an attempt to try to get the tape back. Goes to her office, and once again, the, 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 oh my God, the validity of the tape is under scrutiny. 
Crockett, again, is pointing to the guy, to the American, the one that he saw on his boat. And then Crockett's saying, like, I saw him, I saw him. And she asks, like, like, were you there? And he's saying, no, I saw him in Miami. He's here. And again, like, I understand that the story sounds crazy because if I were this reporter, I would also think they were both cuckoo for Cocoa Pops. And she has a good point in this next clip. If this tape is accurate, I'm going to have it on the air before they can suppress it. Fine. Listen, how about you make a copy? You keep the copy. Give us the original. These people pay you a visit. You send them to us. We take the heat off of you. How gracious. No, thanks. This is my story and my tape and I'll keep it. And to her credit, she also has reached out to foreign service officials asking about this operation they haven't heard anything about it. And then Crockett kind of comes back like this is to do with like covert American operations abroad. And he keeps telling her that he really needs a tape to keep Stone alive. She says that that's not going to happen. And they have nothing more to discuss. Crockett storms out. He hits something on his way out. Then Tubbs, ever the charmer, stays to smooth things over. He says they're all looking for truth. And he does encourage her to talk to a Nicaraguan contact to see if he could verify the murder of the priest. She tells him that she's already made contact and she's just waiting for a response. So it seems like she has really done her homework. And then, thanks to Tubbs' charm, she agrees to give them the copy. And it is cute. He looks so great when he's smiling with her. There's a great picture of, like, he just looks... Like a million bucks. And like, I, again, would be susceptible to that face as well. I'd be like, here, take it. Take whatever you like. And however, as Tubbs is getting his charm on, we see Ira tied up at a house, like very like nondescript house. And we see the same CIA agent, CIA agents eating out of a Chinese takeout box. And this, I want your opinion on this. Next clip. You want some shrimp? Shrimp? I'll call Alicia. I'll tell her the tapes are fake. If she has that tape, you're going to be telling a lot more people than her that it's bogus. What's the matter, Ira? You don't like Chinese? So I'm assuming that he's allergic to shrimp, stone, and that the say agent is force feeding him shrimp. Because again, his hands are tied up. He can't do anything about it. You can just spit it out or try. So that's what I'm assuming. But I just didn't know how to read this clip. Also, I thought it was interesting. You can hear the radio in the background talking about a bill to be passed that would send confiscated weapons in America to the Contra forces in Nicaragua, which I thought was very interesting. Now, Crockett, ever the loyal friend, pulls up to meet Maynard, asks to see if Stone's still alive. Maynard pulls open the door of the van, sees Stone on the floor. And again, they get down to business. Maynard made some snide comments about Crockett's job. Crockett gives him the tape. Now, if anyone has experience with this technology that Maynard's using, please let me know. Because it just seems to be a machine that can verify if it's a copy or an original. And I'm sure this technology existed. I just have no idea what it's called or how it works. And the picture I took just kind of looks like an air traffic control map, except the lines are connected. (laughs) I had no idea. I was like, is this like a... A constellation? <laughs> That's what it kind of looks like to me. So I would very much appreciate your input if you have any idea what this technology is or what it's called. Now, unfortunately, speaking of copies, Maynard does not agree to do the deal until he gets the real thing. Drives off with Stone and Crockett once again left out in the dust, not knowing what he can do. However, at this same time, the CIA agent is surprising the news reporter in her office. He's got gloves on. He means serious business. She tries to call for help. He slams the phone down. 
basically threatens that she will die if she tries to call for help. And he wants the tape. She's not really having it. She tries to play cool for a little bit, tries to run out. He smacks her over the head. Takes one tape, puts a giant magnet around it in a circle. Then goes the tape player, plays the video, another tape. Sorry, there's two tapes. Plays another tape in the video player and then again rubs, or I guess doesn't rub because he's not making contact with the actual player, circles the magnet around the tape to ruin the tape. Now that he has destroyed the tape, another tape that he's verified in the VCR as being a copy of the tape, his business is done. And that song that you heard in the background was Red Rain by Peter Gabriel. And I do appreciate that the Miami Vice music scouts, uh, equally fans of Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel, both former lead singers of Genesis. Now, the next scene, the police are investigating the crime scene and the police are wondering why Vice is involved. And Tubbs alludes to the fact that they were friends with Alicia, the deceased news reporter and just tapes all over the ground. And again, police are just kind of questioning a motive. There was no signs of sexual assault, um, no fingerprints, nothing, nothing monetarily stolen, um, but just like videotapes all over. So you could definitely tell that this is what they were after. And while they're talking, Crockett hypothesizes that they didn't actually intend to kill her, that it's too sloppy. And then he discovers something else in this next scene. Hey, go check this out. Mena. For your inquiry, priests killed town of Asuncion, Father Joseph Mattingly, passport shows Dayton, Ohio, Hasta Luego, Ziggy, transmitted at 11 p.m. Managua. One question, what is Ziggy short for? That is something I'll be checking out after the episode, because that name came from somewhere. <laughs> but to get down to the bottom of this, Crockett calls up Switek back at OCB and asks for the name of the judge that wrote the warrant that approved the warrant that got Stone out of prison. They go pay him a visit in a very cool scene where they basically get him alone in the elevator, stop the elevator, and confront him. Now, again, this was also the man who was filmed at the most unfortunate angle during that boardroom meeting, Judge Leto. Let's hear his acting in this next clip. The warrant was genuine. Federal agents I have a working relationship with presented a valid request. I had no reason to believe it wasn't authentic, and I still don't. Stone was pinched on your warrant, but he's not in custody, and he's not on the street. He's kidnapped. We'd like to believe that when you issued the warrant, you thought that Stone was on his way to jail. My warrant will hold up under scrutiny. You are detaining me, gentlemen. Listen, pal, if we don't find Stone, Maynard will kill him. So I hope you can handle the heat from a homicide beef. Because we're going to be the ones lighting the fire. I couldn't tell if he's just not the best actor or if he's just... If he had just learned his lines phonetically. And that's why it sounds so stilted. Because again, he's saying things that make sense. It's just the delivery is so weird and stilted. But however, the homicide kind of rattles him a little bit. And basically he says, you know, stop. What do you need? He's saying, I don't know where Stone's being held, but I have a number that Maynard gave us that we could reach him in case of emergencies. Tubbs takes this number, calls up the operator to get it searched. They can see what part of town, what address. And it's very old school. This is definitely before a lot of your times. You could actually, you had a live operator and you can see Tubbs is probably an operator he's definitely worked with before, kind of like flirt with a, flirt with a little bit, which I thought was very cute because I was like, oh, such a bygone era. So again, they get the address of this house. They go again, nondescript, teal blue bungalow, pretty empty inside. Crockett and Tubbs kind of stake it out. The only thing that's there is... The answering machine. But you could see there's a rope in the ceiling that's cut. That's probably what they were using to hold Ira. But it's too late. They just see the answering machine. 
And frustrated, Tubbs goes outside to try to look for more answers. He sees a garbage can kicked over, finds a piece of paper that basically kind of like outlines flight departure, pick a point, all that. He kind of results to Crockett. Crockett, Florida boy as always, knows the Everglade, and they race on. And again, a great shot of the Testarossa flying down Alligator Alley. I believe that's the correct highway to get to the glades. I think it is. And it's from there they're able to see a bunch of men in fatigues and armed get in to a plane. They see Maynard in a Jeep talking to another guy, and it's a great shot of them both facing each other. And so while Croc and Tubbs are kind of figuring out their plan of how to confront Maynard, we cut and we see Stone in the warehouse with O'Hara, the CIA agent, again, that we saw in Nicaragua, that we saw at the airport, that we saw in Tubbs' boat, sorry, Crockett's boat, and he really wants Elta intel from Ira. Threatens to shoot him 15 times that he says that he's seen guys survive 15 bullets. And he really wants Ira to talk. Shoots him in the leg. And it's at this point, Crockett is able to surprise Maynard, hold him at gunpoint, and get him to bring him to the warehouse where Ira's being held. Now, before Crockett came on, Maynard responded to the CIA agent that to get as much information from Ira as possible within the next 15 minutes and then close the books, a.k.a. kill Ira. So Crockett and Tubbs did make it just in time. And as we get to the warehouse where Ira's being held and that we know then the inevitable shootout's about to begin, we hear Lives in the Balance by Jackson Brown. With the blood in the ink of Take the your left hand, very slowly, pull it out of the holster and put it on the floor. I definitely do give this episode credit for picking very thematically appropriate songs for this entire episode. You know, they're not as the bangers that, you know, I definitely always enjoy listening to from the Miami Vice soundtrack. But I was like, you know what, this is very thematically relevant and I very much appreciate this. Then, as a shootout is about to occur, Maynard brings up sad but true point in this next clip. You can't stop the inevitable flow of history, Crockett. Well, you never know. I can try. Man, that commitment to doing what is right is so much what I admire about Crockett. With all the corruption and all the violence and the disrespect that he receives, he still just wants to do good. And unfortunately, that spoiler alert does not happen for him within this profession. But I admire this is what he wants to be. And this is the legacy he wants to leave on the world. And unfortunately, it's just the world that will not allow him to leave that legacy. And it's just the steady cycle of corruption that never really goes away. Well, let's continue to end this episode on a sadder note. Unfortunately, Stone already having previously been shot during the interrogation, during the shootout, gets shot again. So does Crockett. We see Crockett's hand later on. And Stone asks Crockett, as he's taking what we're assuming are his last breaths, if his story made onto the news. And Crockett doesn't have the heart to tell him and tells him that's going to be all over the news and he's going to be famous one day. And it's with that stone passes away. And again, season three, the acting is great. Guest stars are great. Death scenes, not so believable. It's just the head turn death. I understand it's for dramatic effect, so I don't need to be too much of a... Boy, I really hope somebody got fired for that blunder. And so as Crockett watches another person that he's close to passes away and there was nothing he could do to save him. He did all he could. And unfortunately, Stone's story is not going to be on the news. And that what Stone died for will never be revealed. Maynard and the rest of the CIA get away, board a plane as we cut to Crockett and Tubbs in a Jeep while Crockett's wrapping up his hand pull up to the tarmac as the plane is already taking off. Meaning that Maynard and the CAA are going back to Nicaragua 
to aid the Contras against the Sandinistas. Crockett is listening to the news while he's fishing on the end of his boat. And he hears the news that is being reported that the Sandinistas killed an American priest in Nicaragua and that a protest is soon to come. Crockett, knowing that that's not all what happened, just kind of has an exasperated sigh. And yes, in the episode closes on him looking down and the end credits. Woo, depressing story. I do apologize. But let's try to have a little bit of fun with it, shall we? Let's get into some fashion. All right, I'm going to shake things up a bit because I just created two new categories. Best NPC, of course, goes to the beautiful woman with the white pumps and the white purse with the multicolored blue and pink dress in the airport. Best newcomer I gave to the Ferrari Testarossa. Our beautiful girl has finally made her big screen, silver screen debut. Now, best dressed male. I always give it to Crockett, but this time I'm going to give it to Tubbs in a royal purple with black suspenders and you can see his diamond earring looking like a million bucks. This whole episode, I know there wasn't really a lot about in this episode, but the way he was able to use his charm to get Maynard's address, to get Alicia to give the tape over, he really brought it this episode even though it wasn't about him. So kudos to you, Tubbs. Now, best-dressed woman. Clearly, you could tell how obsessed I was with the porter and her accessories. I just really love the three chain-link necklace that she had on, the white suit. Great tailored fit for her. Definitely going to give her my best-dressed of the episode. I guess I was going to say I'll also give a silver medal to Crockett at the airport with the two differing shades of blue because that is a great color on him, and he also looked great when he was meeting up with the news reporter, Alicia with the chartreuse undershirt. But I'm going to give best dress to Tubbs in royal purple, like the king he is. And now we don't really have a lot of ice tea this episode because the people that have already covered were already in. <laughs> Back to the world. Stone's first appearance. So you already know all about G. Gordon Liddy. I did think that was very interesting that they brought up Nixon when G. Gordon Liddon was part of the Watergate scandal as a convicted felon as a result. thought that was very interesting. Not really sure what they were trying to tell with this episode, but I for one appreciate it. Now, let me give you a little history minute about the Iran-Contra conflict. So, after the Iran hostage situation in 1979, President Carter imposed an arms embargo on Iran. Now, before 1979, the U.S. was the largest seller of weapons to Iran. So this was a very big move on Carter's part. Reagan said that after he was voted in, he would continue the embargo. The U.S. even went so far as to ask other countries not to sell weapons to Iran. However, despite all that, the U.S. was selling weapons to Iran and funneling that money to support the Contras in Nicaragua. So the Contras were fighting against the Sandinistas, and the Sandinistas were the government-backed, left-wing government-backed army against the Contra rebellion. Oliver North was then the head of the National Security Council, and that's why I brought up the Oliver North trial, because that's I didn't know this guy was a real person until like four years ago. I was like, oh, this all makes a lot more sense. Now, Reagan was publicly supporting the Contras. However, no evidence was found that he actually gave authorization or encouraged Oliver North to sell weapons to Iran and to use that money and funnel it into supporting the Contras. Now, back to Oliver North. Another reason this was a huge scandal. Oliver North also destroyed or hid very important documents and then later, when he was put on trial, his notebooks were made public. So more of this information was available to the public. The NSC, the National Security Council, was supposed to be an advisory council. They weren't supposed to have the authority to sell arms and then to funnel that money to another country. However, this does play into 
U.S. foreign policy, especially U.S. foreign policy against anything that they can perceive as communism. And this was when socialist or more left-wing governments were, in fact, either shut down or suppressed by U.S. foreign policy. This was unfortunately not uncommon in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and especially with a lot of Caribbean, Central, and Latin American countries. So this was a huge, huge, huge scandal. So much so that Reagan Act actually publicly apologized and accept his role and everything, which I think is wild. I'm going to do a little bit more research on this, but this is kind of like my one minute history regurgitation that I'm going to give you. So that's why it is very interesting that they would make an episode of Miami Vice about this when this was in fact happening in many other countries. But I understand that this is Dick Wolf's influence and he very much wanted to do Rip from the Headlines. And again, that worked for him amazing on Law and & Order. And I am enjoying learning more about history that I was previously not super knowledgeable on. And again, I'm only, you know, kind of going through Wikipedia and like a few articles. I'm not actually doing a deep dive, but I didn't really know much about Northern Ireland to the last episode. And now I'm learning a little bit more about the Iran-Contra affair. So thank you, Dick Wolf. I'm trying to look in the positive side with seasons three, four, and five. I know that they're not the same as seasons one and two, but all we can do is make the best of it and have as much fun with this podcast while discussing incredibly depressing topics. <laughs> so speaking of sad, let's get to music, because unfortunately, most of the music, except for Crockett's theme, was a little bit sad in this episode. Again, we are dealing with a heavy topic, so it does make sense. First up, we heard Mercy by Steve Jones. Then Rain, When the Rain Comes Down by Andy Taylor. Red Rain by Peter Gabriel. And Lives in the Balance by Jackson Brown. Now, as much as I love me some Jackson Brown, I love his voice. Personally, with his personal life, with the rumors I've heard, alleged woman beater, alleged, um, makes it really hard to hear somebody's baby because that is a banger. This one, not so much. I think this episode, I think you're probably all going to be with agreeing with me. I'm going to give it to Red Rain by Peter Gabriel, because any former lead singer of Genesis is a friend of mine. <laughs> and as we wrap up season three, episode two, Stone's War, I want to thank each and every one of you for listening, for subscribing, for liking, for following me on all things social at Vice and Easy Podcast for leaving wonderful comments and messages. This all really makes it worthwhile. Don't forget to check out our gallery. You can find me on Imager with the description notes, the show notes of every episode. In the episode description, you can always check out the website. You can find me on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcast. As we leave this depressing episode, let's leave with a little bit of a joke. This is my quote of the episode. So be careful with it, lady. Thank you again for listening, as always, and I'll see you next time for Season 3, Episode 3, Kill Shot. Hey, man, Miami Wise is number one new show. <laughs>